I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There are people out there that don't know Yanni or Yanimai. Well, well, I'm not sure quite how in our day and age. My name is Bav. I would class myself as a serial entrepreneur, not by title, but by action. Invested in property without actually seeing it. Yeah. Literally through WhatsApp, I invested in a TV shopping channel. Seven working days, I've bought a chunk of a TV shopping channel. You know, we've made mistakes, catastrophic mistakes. Don't always get it right. I've had a little bit of trauma yeah. in business. I left. It's a tough adjustment. You know who your friends are. You find out who your friends are straight away. I was a broker. <laughs> You've got to get your 11 players on the pitch absolutely bang on. You don't need a defender thinking he's a striker. This is a breath of fresh air, actually. Right, so, Bav, thank you so kindly for agreeing to come on my podcast. We obviously bumped into each other the other night at a supercar driver event. Yep. Cars, which is what it's always been about and why many of us end up meeting each other in this yep. wonderful world of crazy automobiles. And you've even got your insane... GT3 RS parked just outside the van, yep. which for a special edition of this episode, I will cut some B-roll in off. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. But Bab, for people that don't know, although there'll obviously be a lot of your followers that hopefully will be watching this episode and have followed your journey, yep. in your own words, who are you and what is it that you do? So uh, my name is Bav. Um, I would class myself as a serial entrepreneur, um, not by title, but by action. So it's not because I want to be a serial entrepreneur. I am a serial entrepreneur because of what I've actually done um, and the journey I've taken from um, leaving Leicester and having several businesses, several investments, um, done property. So I've constantly evolved in what I've done. Um, so that's me. You know, that's what I did. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lad from Leicester who left when I was 21, um, came to London for, you know, the big idea and the big dream. And then the rest is history, I guess. And what made you go on that path? Because I was reading up on you before the episode. Yep. I read that growing up, uh, you were born in Leicester and your family had a convenience store. Yep. And so there must have been some business mindedness somewhere there to be able to set up and run an own business. So where did that well, first yeah, spark come look, from? My mom, yeah, my mum and dad bought a shop while I was six, right? So you're young. And and. And we didn't have anything at the time. You know, we were, they were working. My dad took a loan out to get the shop and it was, it's just graft. So you're surrounded by your parents getting up at six o'clock in the morning, five thirty in the morning, every day, day in, day out, only Christmas day they had off. Right. So when you are surrounded by people that are working, your parents are working so hard, it installs an ethic in you straight away. So it's you just get, what you do. It's what you do. It's just what you're born with, you know? Um, and they get out of bed. So naturally you help out. It's a family business. You help out. You do the paper rounds. You do standing in the shop after school. There is no summer holidays. There's no going away on family holidays. It's just full on. Um, and they worked hard for the, the greater good for me and my sister. You know, that was the reality. They wanted to give us a life and they wanted to give us a stability in something that they probably never had. So, And what did they want? Did they want to see you go down the traditional routes or did they 
always have the feeling that you had a bit of a spark and you to do other things? No, they probably wanted me to go down the traditional route. You know, every Asian parent wants a you know lawyer, doctor, yeah. solicitor. You know that kind of um, sort of. But they knew straight away that that wasn't me. Um, you know, so I think for me, um, they they knew that very quickly. Um, but I, I tried, I, you know, I did my GCSEs, did my A-levels and I was going to go to university. But that gap in between, I started working and I got a taste for working and that's the rest, you know, I just carried on working. Which leads me on to my next question, which is obviously after working in the convenience store, which yeah. is technically your first job, being involved in the family yeah. business, et cetera. What did that then go on to? So I got a real part-time job first at um, a shoe shop. And then I worked in a mobile phone shop. Then I worked in another mobile phone shop. And um, so they were all sort of part-time jobs. My first full-time job was in a mobile phone shop. Um, and that's where I sort of learned the industry and learned everything about mobile phones. And, you know, at a very young age, um, being an entrepreneur, I was trying to replicate what they were doing and doing it in a better way and networking and talking to people. And, people, and what age was that? Um, I think that was around 16 when I started. Oh, looking, wow. Yeah, 16, 17. The thing is, what people didn't realise, I mean, nowadays people bought a mobile, buy a mobile phone. It's it's not a big thing. Then, if you bought a mobile phone, you had something about you, you know, because you were either a business person or someone sensible, you know. So you get to meet some nice people and you start networking. Um, so, yeah, so that was it. And then I was 21, um, obviously after I did my GCSEs, retake them and then did A-levels and I sort of squalored around. Um, and then I got an opportunity uh, to move to London. Um, I had my uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time, uh, or my girlfriend at the time, she said, there's a job here in The Guardian, why don't you go for it? It's in Southgate. So I drove down, I think it was on a Wednesday. Um, and then I started on Monday. It was literally as quickly as that. And it was, it was all on a promise. When I was in Leicester working in the shop, I was uh, working for a mobile phone shop. I was on like a hundred pound a week. That was it. Plus commission. This job I moved for was 8,000 pounds a year. Right. So it's more money, literally not that much more, but commission. But I got the sense that I can actually make a clean break, leave Leicester, move to London, start something fresh and start doing something meaningful and learn. That was the biggest thing, learning. And this experience in the mobile phone world and leading up, this was prior to the launch of the smartphone? Uh, yeah, definitely. This was all very... Um, John Briggs back then. Yeah, push button phones sort of stuff. Blackberries. Um, yeah, I mean, Blackberries just started. It was all, you know, it was one-to-one -one at the time and it was all very push button phones, very basic stuff. Um, now it's a different ball game. So yeah, so... Did that. Um, I worked there for four years. Uh, my Russell was my boss. Um, I progressed from salesman to supervisor to sales manager. So, you know, me and a, a colleague called James, we basically ran it with Russell, who was the owner. And he taught us loads. Just by being there, he explained and taught us everything, um, what to do and what not to do. So I learned a lot from him. Uh, then I got headhunted to run an accessory business. Um, you know, so the, with Russell, we grew that business massively. And that's the importance of networking then, which is what yeah. you mentioned a minute ago. Yeah. So with, with Russell, we, 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 you know, we were doing 40 phones a day to the consumer. We ended up doing a thousand phones a day, you know, to the consumer. And at that point that was unheard of. We were absolutely flying. I learned everything, did everything. And I thought I'm actually achieved everything I want to do. Um, I'm, tw you know, and then I decided so then someone approached me and said, look, you know, you've grown a business. Why don't you do the same in mobile phone accessories? And I did that um, for several years. Then 2005, I had my first, uh, you know, uh, point where I went, okay, now I'm done. I'd made good money in the first job, made great money in the second job. And I'm like, I'm done. And I'll, I'm done with the industry. I'm out. And I wanted to then concentrate on property. That was what I wanted to do. There's a really interesting point I wanted to pick up on then because I've experienced firsthand, I guess you could call it ageism in a way when you, I know deep down that I'm capable of doing things yeah. and, and have proved to have done things. But sometimes when you just get the wrong board for say or bunch of people together that are, are all of a specific age, they just, they kick away anybody young 
with any ideas depending on their experience. So we skated over. It's like, oh, and I got had it. I come and run that business. Like, what age were you when you were running that business? So the second term, my second job, I was there from what, 25 to 30. 25. Really? 30. Yeah. And I was the group MD. Wow. So that was a two million pound business. I got it to 16 million pounds. Very profitable. Um, and, um, I took my slice of the cake and I went, I'm going to do property. Now, the thing is, is that when I, I, I learned very quickly with Russell that do not look at the person, their age, their ethnicity, their background, etc. Look at what they can do and how you can help them and mold them. It's the key because even when, so in 2005, we're done, I'm, I'm out. Um, but an ex, someone who used to work for me comes to me because I want to set up a new business. And I said, well, I don't really want to go back into the game. And he convinced me and we went in and started a new business together. And that was until 2019, that was genuine solutions. And um, in that business, because it was mine, um, we took on people from all walks of life, from everywhere, because we didn't discriminate because we were like, listen, just, you know, you need a chance. Let's do it. Because someone gave me a chance. Yeah. So when I first moved to London, he took a punt. He went, well, you sound, you sound like you know what you're doing. You look like you know what you're doing. Show us if you can do what you're doing, you know? And, and, that, and that's where it started, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm having this interview. And then next minute, Monday, I'm, I'm in the office. I'm working for a London company and I'm sleeping on the floor in my aunt's old flat, you know? Um, that's how it works, you know? So, so from the 90s to 2005, you're learning to run a business, then running a business. It's just graft. It is literally, you, the hours were ridiculous. You know, um, you are working whatever hours it takes. You, I, I basically treated it like my own business and that's what got me steps. Now, if you work for someone and you want to be someone, you need to act like you own it. You need to act and behave like you're taking responsibility. You can't just go at six o'clock. Yeah, I just work for the boss and I'm, I'm off at six o'clock. That's not the ethic. That's not, not the no, work it's ethic. It's not going to get you anywhere. Not at all. Not at all. So many people think that it's just going to drop on the, on the lap. It's just going to happen. It won't. Where did you pick that up from? As soon as I started working. Do you think that's natural? Do you think that was from what was installed in you from your parents? I think it's probably installed, but it is common sense. And common sense of these days is not so common. You know, that's the problem, <laughs> isn't it? And I often say that, and you know, and, and it, you have to grow up, you know, and, and when we were sitting there and, and bear in mind, when I'm sitting there, me, Russell and James are sitting there, we're advertising on TV, we're in the newspapers, we're here. So it's 24 hours we're on. We're live 24 seven. So we're working 24 seven. You know, we're having shifts. So some weekends I'm working all the way till midnight on Saturday, Sunday. It's no stop, you know. So we, we shared the workload, yes. But it wasn't, oh, I really don't want to do that. And I don't, oh, there was no off days. There was no sick days. There was no, <laughs> I don't fancy it today. It was, you're involved. You get involved and you have that sense of commitment and you do it. That's how you work. And that, your, that business in 2005 was the first business you had your own shares in? Yeah. So uh, me and a partner, 50-50, started the business. Um, and 2000, March 2006, we moved into our first unit. Um, up until 2007, we then grew. We grew. We ended up having five warehouses, five units. And we were basically selling mobile phone accessories to the market, to the world. And we then moved into recycling. And that is where we changed what we did. So we took on some great people. Um, there was a chap called Peter who we took on board. who was absolute God of knowledge. Absolutely knew everything about recycling. He more or less, you know, he was Mr. Environmental Agency. You know, he knew everything. And um, we started recycling mobile phones and mobile phone accessories. Like a buyback system. No, we sat behind that. So where you might have a buyback system, like the big brands in the UK. CEX, exactly. CEX, Mazuma, Envirophone. We would sit behind it, even with the networks, because what would happen is, let's say you send your phone in and they can repair it or it's broken and it's under warranty. They repair it and they throw it back. If they can't repair it and they call it beyond economical repair, which means yeah. it's just cost too much to repair it, that would come to us. So we would then, our economies of scales were better. So we would find, we would put maybe two phones or three phones and make a good phone. And then we'd sell it back to them. 
and sell it back to the market. So we were helping them save money. We were helping them not waste. Mobile phone accessories was massive. We saved so much to going to landfill. It was unreal. And that's, that was a big part of our business. So recycling of mobile phone accessories, um, repurposing them, putting them back in the market, putting them back in different territories, because a retailer might order 10,000 Bluetooths and then he only sells 3,000 and he's left with 7,000. So something's got to happen. So we would take surplus stock, use stock, recycle stock, process it. It's, it's it. really interesting because you, yeah. won't, you, won't, you won't know this about me sat here, but I actually failed a very similar business. Right, okay. And I, I was doing it in gaming and yeah. we would buy from the auction houses all the returned yep. stock and we were trying to repurpose it and sell on eBay. Amazon, and then we developed into actually having our own yep. product as well. Um, as I mentioned just before I come in here, that business totally screwed up gross margins. And in the end, I think so many people were on the hype after lockdown of yeah. trying to repurpose and sell stuff on that the, the cost of acquisition for those products was just soaring. But yeah. it's re- it's a crazy business. You do actually get a sense of, you, you start to understand just how much tech goes to landfill in the UK. Yeah, it's huge. And we, 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 we were the pioneers in actually trying to change that um, in the industry. And we did a really good job of it. Um, but you're right. You know, what happens is margins. So we're the first ones to start. We're the first ones to drive it. We're the first ones to get going initiatives. And we're talking to the networks. We're dealing with every, you know. Smartphones will then start yeah, to come so, out. And absolutely. Going. So we're dealing with every majority of the operators in Europe. We're dealing with North America. We're taking product from all over the world. We're recycling, repurposing. Margins get squeezed. People start entering the market. You're the first, so you're going to get other people in there. They want to do it for less. The Chinese entered the market, so they want to do it for less. They they want the market. They'll buy the business. So yeah, so it was um, <coughs> it was it was interesting. It was good. Um, we did an amazing job on um the PR of the business, growing the business, um, the team. You know, met the Queen, got an award by the Queen. You know, the, we got a Queen's Award. Um, we got awards. We were in the Sunday times fast track five times for growth. As soon as, you know, we were growing, growing, growing. Um, we won, um, uh, best companies to work for twice in the Sunday times. So, you know, these things weren't easy to do. They were great things to do. It took hard work, um, and took a lot of sacrifice again, because now it's really your own and it's, it's a big job. It's, um, there's no days off again. You're, you're, you're sacrificing time with your family because you're growing a business. Which is incredible. And it sounds to me, that business sounds to me like a story that happened a few years later, to be honest, which is I've always looked at one of my favorite businesses is Gymshark. I love the story. I love the story. How could you not from Ben Francis being in his room to, to grow in that business? But I've always said when I speak about it to people, it's like he was surfing and caught a wave. Yeah. And it's just like he's, he's executed everything brilliantly, but it's like you just got on that wave and you found a business that could get you on a new wave because he did it as Instagram launched yeah. and it just went whoosh and yeah. carried the business with the wave up. It sounds like when you hit this mobile phone accessories business, it was right around the time that the iPhone 3, 100%. the iPhone 4, the iPhone 5 come out and people were like, whoa, let's let's start accessorizing them. Yeah, and, and that's the thing you see. And lots of people try and replicate something that happened then. You can't. What I did, you couldn't replicate today. It doesn't work. So what Ben Francis did, if you could have all the money in the world and all the products in the world, you couldn't start one and be as successful today. It doesn't work. I believe so, that. So you need to, you, you have to, you have to recognize what's in front of you, do what's right and then grow from there. I think that's the key. That is the real key. And you have grown from there because you've done all those things before, before that kind of age. And now you're wearing a Yanomai's top in here and yep. definitely enjoying working or being in something that also yep. gets your passion for cars going. Yep. But in between that period, you've also mentioned property. Yeah. So let me tell you, so first of all, 2019 happened, October, 2019, me and my partner, we've got directional issues. I'd say, I think he wants to go left and I want to go right. So we we're having a bit of a battle at the moment, you know, 2018, 2017 it's the problem of the 50, 50 sometimes. Yeah. So, and you know, um, what I was active in the business, I'm the team, I'm working with the team I'm building. I'm the one that makes the till ring and, and I'm helping and the, and the team are working and it's great. 
And we're having, we're a bit of a loggerhead and 2019 that came to a stop. I was like, I'm done. I can't do it. You know, um, he, you know, he actually said to me, we can't do this anymore. You need to go. And I was like, okay, I'm done. Because before I'd try and pacify the situation, I was like, I'm done. Head, headspace done, finish. It was just too much grief and stress and every board meeting and every meeting, it was just arguments. And I like, don't need this. That's why I sold up. Yeah. And, and you just don't need the, you just don't need the headache. So 2019 I left, um, for the first six months. Okay. So I'm like, what do I do? You know, I'm like, oh, hold on. I'm used to 300 emails a day for the last 25 years. And I'm used to phones ringing off the hook. It's like going dead. So I'm like adjusting now. And it's a tough adjustment. It's a tough adjustment. And you know who your friends are. You find out who your friends are straight away. And what was the next step from there? So first of all, is to build myself back up. I was a broken, I would say I was, mentally broken, mm-hmm. mentally broken. It was systematic what I went through and I probably wasn't the best version of myself while I was there in that environment. It wasn't a great environment. So then 2019, so six months happened, um, lockdown. So we're in lockdown. I then started doing, I invested in property. I invested in various other businesses. Um, my property portfolio grows and it keeps growing. Um, and then I, I set up a business in lockdown selling branded face masks. So I've known Yanni for years. We had a mutual friend. Um, we started doing branded face covers. So where logos are on, on board. So, and again, set up the process, set up everything and we're flying. We're doing face masks or face covers for loads of companies, loads of brands. We even did McDonald's, a franchise for McDonald's, right? So we're, we're cracking you on. got on that wave again. Straight away, back on, back phones. Like, listen, we're entrepreneurial. I was like, listen, let's do this. Um, very quickly then I got introduced to Aaron, um, Aaron Lambeau, who's in the gym scene, et cetera. And he wants to launch an energy drink. So him and Ollie and me have a conversation. He says, want to launch an energy drink. Well, I've never launched an energy drink. This is to start. around the time, by the way, I've, knew you were and I started following you and I've seen your journey from here as well. So we're in lockdown and we're like, how do we do an energy drink? We did 21 days later, we had an energy drink. Simple as that. We went, we did everything we needed to do to make it happen. Exactly. We realized how much time pressure you were under to get it right. Cause it was lockdown. There was different opportunities, people going back to the gym. What was it that was, why did it have to be so quick? Um, we just thought it was a great opportunity. People are at home, people are in the gym. We just wanted to do something and we wanted to do it quick because we just think, I just think that there's no way you should procrastinate anything. Just, just hold back and wait and plan and just get on with it. So we did it. Sold out one weekend, right? We're like, oh, wow, did, run, did another run, sold out. I was like, wow. Then we ended up doing, you know, quarter of a million cans and now it's a different ball game. So now we're dealing with the big boys and manufacturing, production, Again, sold out. So that business kept on going and it still does today. Um, and we're now looking at doing something different with that um, and different products, et cetera. Um, and then um, in August, 2020, um, someone I knew said, you know, I'm doing some marketing. Can we set something up? So I set up a marketing agency um, In got the offices, got a team in, started doing that, started working for various people, social media management, marketing videos and whatever. So I invested in, the, you know, uh, someone to do it with and went and helped build the business. And we did marketing for various brands and companies, you know, the likes of Slazinger, the likes of Sports Direct, the likes of Aston Martin, Porsche, and loads of other people, loads and loads of people. We did it for AV companies, you name it, we did it. Vape businesses was big for us. Um, so we went um, and did all that. Not without its own struggles, you know, you can imagine, you know, um, trying to build a team that was, you know. I'm there t- now. Tears and laughs and, you know, it is what it is. And through that journey, uh, I then was approached with an opportunity um, around a competition business. Um, I then spoke to Yanni about it. We then um, set up Yanni's competition. So we sat down and we actually then said, look, what we're going to do. So then at that point, um, you know, two and a half years ago, me and Yanni became partners um, through this opportunity. And then we created the group structure. Um, so what he does, he does. What I do, I do. So there's no egos involved. We're both veterans in business. Um, we set up the company, set up the group structure. 
Um, we have the wrapping business, we have the car cleaning business, we have the clothing business, we have the yep. competition business, and we have a media business. So we have different facets. They're all group structured. Um, all of them are owned by the holding company and me and Yanni are 50-50 in the holding company. And our goal is to make Yanomise a household name. That's the, that's the ultimate goal. And that's currently what is progressing you. But what I'm picking up on is certainly in your journey, the just the importance of networking. Yeah. And that must bring us to the conversation around cars yeah. because I am a massive believer that, you know, I don't try and hide anything. I understand that by me, have I haven't invested a huge amount in my digital agency. Yeah. And on the outside, I'd be like, oh, wow, that's going well. Plenty of clients at the minute. Business seems good. But just the amount of events that I can go to that are out there with yeah. people with supercars, people that own businesses. And it, it's just it's just changed my life, I'd say, because of the ability to network. So when on that journey, yeah. match your cars with the journey a little yeah. bit for us, because that also <coughs> helps the networking, which is where you end up ultimately being a business partner with Yanomai. So my first supercar was a Porsche Boxster. 20, I was working with Russell. Uh, I was, my goal was to get it before I was 25. That was my goal. That's where it started. My life, my, my journey with Porsche started at that age. And um, then it just grew in cars and just kept on rolling. And uh, I think you touched on networking and how important it is. And I truly believe it's so underrated. And I get lots of DMs, lots of messages from people. Um, and they don't utilize the tools that people have. And that's the key. You know, I've done a lot of my networking and a lot of my building early days in on LinkedIn. And a lot of people forget that. People think that you, you know, you run businesses or you network a lot on, in, on social media. No, that's not what the real businesses are not always done on social media or on things like Instagram and Facebook. It's done in on things like LinkedIn, looking at what people are doing, looking at people, how they're doing it. It's done at networking events. It's done at local business awards, local business events. And that's how you network. You start in your area. You start building your network in your area. Don't start thinking you, you know, you're going to have that Mike Ashley's phone number in your phone book. It's not going to work that way. Mm. You know, you've got to start small and grow. And that's how, that's that's the difference. <laughs> Do you want an ice cream? <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, though, we'll cut, cut it. we'll cut it and start the cameras again. <laughs> so we've had our ice cream. I hope you caught the end of that. <laughs> As we were just nice. interrupted by the van. The van is soundproof, but it's not quite that soundproof. It's quite cool, though. It is cool. We can just about hear the cars, but the mics block it out. We're actually in a really busy car park where we are, so it's doing a fairly good job of keeping out a lot of the noise. But we were just touching on the importance of networking because of how much even I found that it's helped me in my business. The amount of people that get in contact, it's like, oh, it's Benny does websites. And it's almost like people don't even seem to check out your portfolio, what you do sometimes. They're just so enthralled when you meet them in the threats by passion and whatever. They're like, yes, I want you to do it. So you've had a similar thing. Yeah. And the network's important. So I'll give you a prime example. So last year in February, I get a WhatsApp and someone getting a WhatsApp for someone and they say, do you want to buy a TV shopping channel? It was on WhatsApp. I went, because do you fancy buying it? It's going, it's going to, you know, the banks are on it. They're going to close it down. It's a TV shopping channel. It's based in Peterborough. Do you want to have a look at it? Do you want to buy it? I was like, wow. Okay. And literally through WhatsApp, um, I invested in a TV shopping channel. Literally through that, within within seven working days, I've bought a chunk of a TV shopping channel. And that's through network. You know, that's from people you trust and you know. Um, I went there, did six months work, uh, turned the business around and helped turn it around, should I say, part of a good team. And I then um, decided in August, I was on holiday and it was a bit of a full-on. I'd gone from doing like doing what I want to like a full-on business. And um, I ended up selling the business um, in August. So six months in, sold my sold my shares um, to Mike Ashley, Sports Direct. Wow. So again, it's the network. It's who you know, right? It's, it's how it works. So, so what, what gives you the confidence, I suppose? Because there's, there's people have different levels of confidence from... Oh that are all entrepreneurs with different levels of confidence and risk-taking ability. But I definitely say that the the guy that can 
positively look at a business that is failing yeah. or is really struggling and thinks I can turn that around. Where did you learn that skill? I know my, I know what I can do. I know what I'm, what I'm good at. So, and again, with me and Yanni, I know what I'm good at. I know what he's good at. So when you know what you're good at, you know what you're, what you can and can't do. Now, let me ask you this. Like, a lot of people say on, let me ask you this. What's the definition of an entrepreneur? Somebody that's willing to try. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Just try. I think someone that is willing to make that step and take a risk yep. that could impact their life in a positive or negative way is an entrepreneur to me. Yeah, that's a fair understanding. So by me doing drop shipping and copying, pasting another person's business, is that an entrepreneur? My Well, no, is my initial reaction because I actually moan about that a yeah. lot. And I'd actually like to get somebody on that's in that space because- yeah. I'll answer your question first and then go off on a tangent. No, I don't believe that as an entrepreneur at all because I don't think they're taking a risk. I don't think that setting a business up for less than a hundred quid that's drop shipping yep. is that definition of taking a risk to change your life. But don't you think the, the, the term entrepreneur is used too much? Yeah. But, <sighs> you know, maybe this, there this, we this... need a new term for someone that actually succeeds as yeah, an entrepreneur. Not, you know, just because I'm doing a side hustle doesn't make me an entrepreneur. Yeah, maybe side hustle is the platform. It's a really interesting point, that. But it's, but I get this all the time. I get it. I get messages because on one of my Instagrams, I help people. They message me and I help people. They go, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going to do this. And I'm like, how are you an entrepreneur? You haven't done anything. You've already labelled yourself up and you've not even started your business. So maybe you can only label yourself once you've completed a task that you set out to do. And that can't just be starting it. No. You've got to be sick. You've got to actually go through the journey to become an entrepreneur. You don't label yourself a runner without putting on a pair of running shoes and going on a track, do you? Because so, something that I really, um, really frustrates me, in fact, in, in, in the business world of social yeah. media, the thing that frustrates me the most at the minute is I feel sorry for people that are ready in their mind to start out on a journey. They don't know what journey, they just want to do something, whether yeah. it's a side or some of the rest of it. And they get someone pop up on their phone with a blue tick and 170K followers. Yeah that says, I'll start you a dropshipping business. And what we'll do is we'll deliver you a Shopify website plugged into either Alibaba or a Printful site. Yep. And you pay me £350 a month and I will be your networking mentor. And I will message you back and I'll help you through this process. And look, dropshipping has got me this GT3RS, this yep. FA tribute, this etc. <laughs> and I look at that just because I'm fortunate enough that I've been in a position that's made me look through things a little bit more that I'd say just a little bit more experience in looking through things. And I say, hang on a second, the, the, your tea candle drop shipping business that you're telling people has got you three supercars sat in, in front of you, man. That is not what's doing it. And you, you get you your phone. scratch beneath the surface, right? Yeah. You, but all you've got to do is get out your phone and go, well, hang on a second, 350 quid yeah. times 350 people. Oh, that's how you're doing it. <laughs> like a month. What a, what a business model. Yeah. But that to me is scamming. Yeah. It's not right. Like, you know, these people you're talking to that are investing their emotion in you. It's not going to work because you just copy and paste them, which is what you're saying. So no, I would not say that as an entrepreneur. But then people want instant money, instant fame. They want instant gratification. Everything is instant. I listen, you know, that's the problem we're in. This generation we're in at the moment People message me going, what's the quickest way to make money? 
And I'm, my, my, you know, I, I'm a bit sarcastic sometimes now. And I actually say, well, actually, the quickest way to make money or the most money is to be a brain surgeon. Well, I can't do that. Well, so why don't you figure out what you can do? Because people are very clear and going, well, I want to make money, but they don't look at themselves and go, well, actually, I'm actually no good at that. And I'm actually good at this. Work out what you're good at. And I worked out very quickly what I'm good at. Now, once I figured out what I'm good at and what I can do and, what I, and how I can do that, that's when I became successful in my own right. I'm successful in my own right in my own house. I don't care about anyone else. I don't care about the Joneses. I don't care about the next person. I don't care what car they've bought. I don't care. You know, I don't care. I do what's right for me within my budget, my remit, my life, my family. That's it. You know, I don't chase it. I'm not, I'm not about, oh yeah, I need to buy that car for Instagram and I need to buy that because I need to be buying the latest thing. No, not for me. Not for me. Maybe I'm getting too old. Maybe I'm getting too old. Well, you've always had that passion for Porsche since 25 and you're still rocking that train now as well. Yeah. But the thing is, I'm, I don't have to, you know, I know people that buy cars to try and buy the love to get the cars they want. I don't do that. I've built up a very good, stable relationship over many, many years. And what people don't realise is, you know, how did Bav get a GT3 RS? You know, wh- you know, what did he do to get that GT3? What did, how many cars did he buy? What did he do? It's not about that. It's about consistency. I've been with, you know, that dealer for 12, 13 years. You know, not buying silly cars, but buying what I want. And they know you're reliable. The, creating the relationship, using the cars, not flipping the cars you know, selling them back to them, building that relationship. And that's how it works. And people don't value that, you know, and people, and it's the art of talking as well. People are too kick, you know, it winds me up, you know, we're in the office and I go, well, you know, did you speak to so-and-so? Yeah, I messaged them. No, don't, did you actually physically pick up the phone? Did you speak to them? Have a chat with them. At the very least, that's the least you can do, but people don't do that anymore. I've taken the approach with my business that where possible, I will continue to go and have meetings with people because I just think that Zoom will end up not taking over, but it there is it takes away an emotional connection between yeah. two people when they're sat down having a conversation. And I recently did um, and completed on a project for a client and it was really interesting. The previous uh, web company they were dealing with was based 25 minutes away from their head office and in three and a half years had never visited the site. I couldn't believe it. And I thought, how is it that this company, I would aspire to look like that company as a a guy and do some amazing work. And I'm like, but how are they not going to see their client? That's why they've just, that's why they've just lost it. Like that's, that's why I've just managed to, to win this business. It's just insane. So I think that is a hell of a point. Yes. I'll give you a prime example. Yesterday, um, I drove just shy of 500 miles yesterday for one meeting that lasted two hours. All day, two hour meeting because I felt it was important to have it face-to-face, see their facility, see what they do, sit down with the CEO and, and the chairman and, and the owners and the group and, and everyone and go, let's talk about what we can do. Now, they also appreciated the fact that I'd made the effort. So they're now going, well, actually, I'm serious about what I want to do. I've not ducked out on a Zoom call. I've not ducked out on a Teams call. I've gone... No, guys, I'm going to come and see you. I'm serious about what we want to do. So they're going to take you seriously. They're going to make an effort. So they've gone, well, actually, he's made the effort. So this is no joke. We want to actually do this properly. So there you go. So I've spent all my day for a two-hour meeting, but I see the longevity in it, and there'll be a mutual benefit for all us all. So, But people don't often make that effort. I find really interesting, you said a minute ago, that you know what your skills are. Yeah. Now I'd say that this is, I'm absolutely loving this conversation because I've seen, I've had everybody on this podcast so far from firework shop owners yeah. to guys that customize trainers as amazing side hustles and things like that. And it, but I'd say that as somebody that I can connect with, because I've got targets to get to a similar position, I'd say that you're the most relevant for me. Yeah. So what I'd, I'd really like to know is what would you say your skills are, but the skills that you don't have when you're investing in a company, what do you make sure you do to sort that out? So when I look at a company that I'm going to invest in, I look at what the skill sets that are there and what the gaps are. So I have the innate, innate ability to look at a business and go, well, you're not doing this, this, and this, or you're doing this very well. 
And what you'll also find is in most businesses that an investor will look at, they'll look at the skill set. Now, some businesses are organically grown. So let's say you've started your business, then you'll go, well, actually, I want to employ my mate and my mum's going to do the books and my uncle's going to come in and do some driving. And I've got a couple of friends from school. And, 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 and Sounds and, like the last podcast I had. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and you end up building a, a, a people, you end up people building people around you, right? That are running this business. Okay, well, your mum knows nothing about accountancy and your uncle can't drive and he smashed the van up three times and your mates can't do it properly, but they're just in it for the ride. So there's a lot of that goes on. And that's how, you, you, you know, successfully you do start a business like that. However, when you're growing a business, you need to put the right people in the right place. And that's the key. So going back to what you're saying about what do you look at? I look at who's playing, who's, who's doing what in the business. Because you can't have 11 strikers. You can't. So I look at the business and go, what are they doing? What are they not doing? How big is that market? What's their capacity? And what have they not thought about? Because quite often they're not. When you're running your own business, you're head down, you're in the business. And most people don't think and look about being on the business. It's a big difference. In the business, I'm in it day to day. I'm hustling. I'm doing what I've got to do. On the business is a helicopter view going, actually, where are you going? What are you doing? What's the long-term play? Where's the next step? So it's the battle and the war. So it's always people changes. Putting people in the right place is the first thing or the major thing. I have a thing called the three Ps. First one is people. First one is people. Have the right people in the, in, in the room, right? Because if you've got toxic, bad apples, it's not going to work. Now, you, you know, you get, I'll give you a prime example. Got a bowl of fruit at home and, and the fruit's going off. You go to Sainsbury's or you go to Tesco's, you go and buy some more fruit. You don't put it in the bowl, do you? No. Why? Because it's with all the other ones. It's going to go rotten, right? Yeah. Gonna, yeah. So if you're running a business and you've got a load of bad apples in your business, you don't bring in a load of new people and go, yeah, bring in, bring in. What do you think is going to happen? They're just going to make them, yeah. It's going to be that negative vibe. In the same. So either you need to change the methodology and terminology and what you're doing with these people and understanding what these people are. So people is the first thing. You've got to sort the people out making sure they're happy, making sure they're content. Not everyone wants to be an employee for the rest of their life. So do you need to give some shares away? Do you need to give some equity away? You know, people, are, business owners are very much, oh, it's all mine. I'm going to keep it all. They don't want to give anything away. But you're never going to retain great people then, are you? Because great people will go. I'm in a very similar sense to that at the minute. I'm very much like this at the minute, just because I've had, I'd say, a little bit of trauma yeah. in business when it comes to shares. And I have, I have just put, locked myself in the mindset of I'm not giving a, a, a thing away, but you think that is not the right way to No, be. absolutely not. You have to give some, you have to give some skin in the game to people to give them some worth. And that's the, you know, that's the one thing you need to do now. And the, and the other thing is, you know, managing people and managing perception. So you run a business or you are a department, you expect the person you employ to be as good as you. Are you mad? It's never going to work. So the, the, my theory is, is that if you do a job and you're good at it and it's 100%, you're bang on the money, box ticked, the person you take on can only be 80% of what you do. They're only going to be as 80% effective. If they were 100%, you'd be working for them. So you have to accept they're going to be 80% as, as good as what you do in that job. 80% is the rule. Now, what happens when they employ someone in their team? They're going to be 80% of theirs. But what that 80% allows you to do is grow. As grow as what I can have more scope. What people realize, they go, oh, he's not doing it the way I do it. He's not doing it as well as I do it. Well, they're never going to do it the well, well as you do it. That's not the way it works. You've got to find their skills and let them run with it. And, and as business owners, we're very... You know, people are very scared to let tasks go that they don't understand and control. But you have to work with people that you can trust. And you currently now work with Yanni, yep. who I've obviously followed, love of cars. How can you not know who Yanni is? And you must have. There are people out well. there that don't know Yanni or Yanni Mize. Well, know. well, there are people out there. 
I'm not sure quite how in our day and age because it, it's been brilliant to watch the journey of yep. Yanomaz. In fact, um, Rowan sat in the corner helping out on this podcast. I believe you've had a vehicle in the past or with your dad, you've even come to Yanomaz and had a Range Rover wrapped. Yep. Um, so everybody knows about it. But what I find really interesting about Yanomaz and something I'd love to ask you about is I've even seen it when a business looks incredible from the outset and that might just be because of numbers so followers happiness videos all the rest of it but the showroom the showroom showroom, but behind closed doors it's like ah like this is we or something needs to change and obviously we've publicly seen um that one of the biggest changes in the last year at yanomai's is shrinking down the vehicle wrapping now i just looked at that and i just thought soaring overheads yeah but would you like to explain a little bit about how you aided that business? The, the, the strategy with the Anamize full stop is to get the brand out there. Okay. We are always going to wrap cars. We do it well. We do what we do. The opportunity came about with Simon and to put the wrap bays in urban and manage that and co-manage that. It just works. We have cars coming through there all the time. It, the whole partnership and the way that works and the way we wrap cars that it just physically works. And yes, you know, um, Wrapping cars is hard work. Look, you know, in anything you do for someone personally, it's hard work. When you buy a house, your estate agent, your bank, your man, it's hard work. When you have a child, when you have a baby, when you get married, when you have something personal, anything personally, your car, your house, your your wedding day, it's all personal. There's always going to be a drama and a crisis and a problem. And it's, but still you end up smiling at the end of the day, right? Yeah. So it's always going to be like that in any walks of life, any business stuff like that, because you're dealing with someone's personal assets, someone's personal stuff, right? You know, we've made mistakes and there's been videos we put out when Yanni's done videos saying we made, you know, catastrophic mistakes. We've made great, you know, great things we've done. It's no different than any other business. We don't always get it right. And that's the truth. It's just the fact that we're a public facing business, right? Yeah. So people talk. People talk. We don't always get it right, but damn sure we get it right most of the time. And, that, and we do a good job of it. And that's the journey you're on is currently Yanomize is your main yep. prospect at the minute, but you've still got other investments going on behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, they'll continue and I get, I get, um, I get a new business approaching me daily, weekly and saying, we want to do this and I'll, I'll look at it. Um, but yeah, my focus is all, all things Yanomize. Um, we're looking at different areas, different sectors, different countries. Um, we're looking at all the stuff we're doing on media and it's just, expanding the brand that's what we're looking at so so there seems to be a heck of a lot of success on that journey there must have been one time that you might have got it wrong can Um, you can you tell us what you think the hardest part has been so far from where you first had your first shares in a company to now what just anything just yeah what was the hardest thing to get over so or a point where you didn't think there was any return oh i've had one um during lockdown i invested in a business with someone and um, on paper, they looked amazing. In reality, ticked all the boxes. Everything was planned out. Everything was what it was. And Brexit ruined it. Our importation, uh, manufacturing, um, and everything to do with it, just absolutely scuppered everything. And it was literally like, do we throw more money at it and try and salvage the situation or we do we not? And I got to the point where I'd rather, I lost the money and I was like, I'm done with it. There's no point. And it happens. You can't win every time, but you win most. That's the key. But you've got to keep trying. And you definitely have kept trying because of just the series, just the amount of different things that you've done in that yeah. time period. Because you'll get somebody that comes on here that say, owns a family jewelers that's 175 years old and yeah. third generation. And that is what they do for 40 years. But they learn to do it really, really, really well. Yeah. And then you get somebody that is just always on to the next thing, which I love because that is so me. Yeah. It's amazing. But, you know, it's not always easy to move on to the next thing and keep the cash rolling in and all the rest of it. So you mentioned that a lot of people like to get rich quick and yeah. they would maybe view that as getting rich quick with new opportunities and investments, but it's not in reality. But behind the scenes, and I've got it on a very small scale at the minute and I'm trying to learn and figure out what's best to do, but property. Now yep. people just say property and then it, people go crazy on Instagram. It's such a thing. Well, what the hell do you mean yep. by property? Yep. So in your sense, um, with whatever you're comfortable with, what does property mean to you? 
And what? how do you use it as a mechanism? So I started buying properties in 2005. Um, that's what I was going to go and do. And my initial plan was to buy properties and rent them out more long-term. Don't look at the short term. I didn't want to flip the properties. I didn't want to buy them. I wanted to buy them and I wanted to create an income. That's what I wanted to do. So I started buying flats. So I bought because they were cheaper and easier to rent out. So I started buying flats and I thought to myself, if I can start buying flats and every flat is starting giving me, you know, four or 500 pound profit every month, I'm laughing. You know, I can actually sit back and actually just live off that. And anything else I do is a bonus. Um, so I started buying flats. I bought a, a, um, a shitload in Leeds, absolutely loads, right? Um, I bought flat, you know, in one block, I bought loads and there was a, there was a block that went um, into receivership and KPMG at the time were releasing floor at a time and I was buying flats. And um, so I bought a load of flats in Leeds and I concentrated in that area. Okay, so in in the docks in the Docklands area, I, I focused there, and um, and I've never been there. I've never been there. I started with my first flat because a friend recommended me to someone. I bought first flat. All the ones I bought, I never seen one. I never bought. Never so you've seen invested one. in property yeah. without actually seeing it. Yeah, never seen a flat, and the reason being is because my managing agent in Leeds, I trust. Okay. So we had a great relationship, built a great relationship and still have a good relationship and look how many years we're in now, right? And he then, and, and the team there started giving me flats that were going up, et cetera. And I built that up and then ground rent, service charges and all that came into effect. Um, I started buying houses and I started buying houses where I used to live in Leicester. So there I thought, I know the area, I know the market. I know the local agent, had a conversation, started buying houses there. Now, and I found that the houses were more longer term rent and I started buying, every time something came up, I started buying them. And that's how I built my property portfolio up. And then the the law changed around tax and how much money you can make and all the rest of it. So I had to do tax planning and work out how we're going to do it. Um, and what's going to happen with my properties when I die, et cetera. So that's all been sorted. So my properties are now, you know, God forbid when I die, they go into trust. Yep. So my, my wife and my kids can't Are they currently them. in a limited company? Not all of them, no. Because at the time, you, it was better to do it in your personal name. Okay, yeah. So now it's changed. Now they're all, now as and when I buy them, they're all in limited companies. That's how I've done it. Um, but now for me in property, it's, it's my pension. It's a residual income. When I die, it, they entrust. Oh, this is a breath of fresh air, this is. They will never, my, my, my boys will never be able to sell those properties. They stay, there's generations now. So they will knock on into every generation. So they will get them, their kids will get them. They, can, they will draw the income from the properties, but never be able to sell the properties. This is a breath of fresh air, actually, because I, I, I've spoken to a lot of people about property and that word comes up and then it, the next question is, well, what's your strategy? And my strategy was I'm going to use money that I've invested from the sale of a business to get some um, houses and properties, which I bought outright to yeah. build up a strong balance sheet and get the income from those properties for a solid year, then be able to show it to the banks and I'll then be able to take out buy-to-let mortgages through the company based off the strong balance sheet. And my idea was I'm not too fussed about the profit because it goes straight back into the company to build up the bank account to buy more properties. And for me, my end goal is, well, one day they'll all be paid off. That'll be in a day where 25 years from now, if you say that's what the mortgages are, I'll be about 50. And it's like, wow, I'm so good. I can just imagine sitting back and going, well, wow, I'm so glad you did that yeah. when you were younger. Like that, that was a really good thing to do. And that's the whole like, well, it's, get got rich to, slowly. So, I haven't heard anybody else that's actually that similar to how I think of doing it. Yeah, I think, yeah. It's, I mean, for me, it it's- seems a lot more risky. Yeah, but it's, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, there's people out there that buy properties, they do HMOs and they do flipping and they buy it, sell it and whatever. For me, this is a long-term play. Interest only, try and make the equity. And- yeah, it's a long-term play. My mortgages, when the, when the mortgages- happen, I, I do a five-year fixed. I do a five-year or seven-year fixed. I need to know where I'm, what I'm paying. I need to know when I'm paying it. And I, I'm as clear as day. 
I don't want ambiguity. For me, I know exactly what I'm earning. You know, people might go, well, you know, you just go and you, you, you're here, there and everywhere. You're spending money. I said, well, it's all calculated. It's all, it's all physically calculated. I know exactly that's one of your best traits as an investor is managing money. Yeah, you have to. You know, you know, you look you know, you look after the pennies and the pounds look after themselves, but you have to manage it. So going back to businesses and investments, first thing is people, making sure you've got the right people, right? And the second thing I've always said is the process, the business process. Okay. Because what happens is, is in you know, in the big businesses, processes get put in place without thought. Oh yeah, well, I'm going to raise a purchase order. Okay, what are you going to do with that? Well, I need to go to him, her, him, her, and then I've got to go all the way around. That's a why. We've always done it like that. That's what I always get. We've always done it like that. I mean, that's because... Elon had this with the manufacturing in Tesla. Yeah. That was the favourite. What you're saying, that was the favourite one I've heard was, well, why are we putting that weld there Yeah. when that's the machine that's broken down? Yeah. So I, I get that. And, I, and for me, it's then the process process of the business how does it work what happens if what happens with the journey what happens when that happens what do you do there how where why and then you look at the process the people the right people in the right place then the process then the last thing is the product product and then creating partnerships so it's it's literally pppp all the way in profit. This, <laughs> profit is the last thing it's down the line because if you haven't got the right people, haven't got the right process, your profit will just seep out. And do you think, um, I've come to learn as I'd say a young entrepreneur, yeah. that I would now value uh, cash flow as a more important part of the business than profitability to me? Yes, because it's one of the biggest things that people fail. People, mm. People's businesses fail because they don't get the cash flow right. But again, it's about making sure you've got the right person next to you. So if you're no good at cash flow and you're not understanding how it works, it's having the right person next to you. So you've got to get your 11 players on the pitch absolutely bang on. And you don't need a defender thinking he's a striker. That's what you need to do. And you don't need your goalie going up and taking penalties. So what I'm saying is, is that you get your people right, you get your process right, so then everyone knows what they're supposed to do and how it needs to be. Give them responsibility, give them autonomy, you know, let them run, let them make mistakes, sit them down. I used to have one-to-ones with my team on a regular basis. Even now we have a weekly meeting. We go sit down and go, what we're doing, not micromanage, but guide, help and plan together. And then you grow because they're growing, you're growing. You can't be doing everything yourself. And that's what people probably fail when I know people that do that in their own business. Oh, I need to do everything myself because they're just crap. My, my staff are rubbish. I have to do everything myself. And well, no, that means you're rubbish. You should have planned. You need to sort yourself out. It's not your staff. You, you know, need to manage a bit. You need to work out how you, either you've got the wrong people, which is your fault, or you're not doing things correctly, or they're disengaged. Nothing worse than a disengaged employee. Well, I want to thank you. We try and keep these episodes yeah. at about 50 minutes to an hour. So we're going to cut cut there. But I hope this has been unbelievably interesting to people that are already on their business journeys, I think, and in entrepreneurship. This will really help them yeah. and inspire into many others. And I've absolutely loved hearing your story and I'll take away many points of that for my own journey. So Bab, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing what you and Yanni do together with the group. Brilliant. Cheers. Thank you very much, Ben. Cheers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.